You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Jake Hotchkiss. I'm an associate pastor here at Schweitzer. Welcome. We are uh, second to last week of our series called Faith Questions. And what we've been kind of trying to do here is to tackle some of the really fundamental uh, aspects of the, of the Christian faith. And, uh, and the one that we're looking at today is what does a transformed life look like? And maybe it'd be best by starting uh, to ask, why are we asking this question in the first place? What what does a transformed life look like? Well, we got to know, right? What's the goal of the Christian faith? We've got to know uh, what it is that God has promised to those who give their lives to Him. And what He has promised us is transformation. See, God didn't send His Son into the world for us to just be um, kind of complacent and good with the way things are, right? And just be uh, comfortable with things remaining the same until we make it onto the other side of things, right? God sent his son, sends his Holy Spirit into the world to redeem, to restore, to uplift, to empower, to take what was dead, give it new life, to take what was broken and make it beautiful. When God gets a hold of something or someone, it changes. He shows. He tears down the old buildings and he constructs new ones. God transforms. This is what he does. God transforms and we can expect this as his children. Now my concern, my concern for myself, for the church, for the world is that we have kind of stopped expecting this, haven't we? We've stopped expecting God to do the very thing that God does when he gets a hold of things. We've become comfortable with the way things are. We've become too satisfied with all that we have in this world. (laughs) We've not seen God move like we see him move in scripture. We say, does he even do this anymore? God, do you even do this anymore, or is this just how you you mean for us to live? Is this just what you want for our church to look like here today in America? And the answer to that question is no. This is not what God wants the church to look like. This is not what God wants my life to look like. He wants more, and he wants us more with him. Because he is in the business of transformation until all things 
are made new. So what does a transformed life look like? I want you to um, do a little thought experiment with me. Imagine yourself, um, you can close your eyes if you'd like, you can leave them open. Um, I want you to imagine your life sometime in the future, maybe a year from now, five years from now, 10 or 20, or at the end of, it, end of your life, doesn't matter. And ask yourself this question, if God complete control of your life today, imagining this, okay, I'm not, I'm not telling you that you have to give God complete control, this is just a thought experiment, okay, not asking that of you yet, just imagine that from this moment forward, God had complete control of your life. You gave everything over to him and said, God, I'm yours, and you never turned back. And in that amount of time, what would change about you? What would God transform in your life? Think about that. Would any of you like to share one of the first one or two things that came to your mind? Shout it out if you've got it. Anxiety, thank you. Anyone else? What was that? Strife? Anyone else? Pride. Anyone else? Generosity, be more generous. Okay, this is good, thank you. What? All right, so for me, when I do this little thought experiment, and I, I often think, and if I just gave my whole life to God, what would it look like? When I think long-term, the first thing that comes to mind uh, for me is that he's, he's gonna have a big uh, influence on the world through me, right? Like I think through speaking and writing. That's, a, that's the first thing that comes to mind. For whatever reason, my relationship with God and him getting a hold of my life, uh, that's where my mind goes, is the, the things that he'll accomplish through me on this earth, right? And then when I think short-term, um, I usually think of some like, little thing in my life, like maybe, uh, you know, in the next, like, month, if he, or year, if he had complete control of my life, I'd, I'd sell my TV or, like, have less possessions. I mean, you know, that's, that's where my mind goes, okay? So you all probably had something. Maybe it was in terms of your career, you'd, you'd get a different job. You wouldn't be working where you work if, if God had control of your life, or you wouldn't be living where you live or living how you live. Maybe you'd be giving up uh, certain addictions. Maybe you, you get what I'm saying, right? Maybe you'd be, you'd stop gossiping and Etc. And here's what I, I want you to understand is that while many of these things may happen, while God certainly may intend to transform all these areas of your life, we are all missing the primary way that God wants to transform our lives. There are a thousand different ways to talk about transformation. All right, when I was message. I was sitting down with uh, David Freeman, the other preacher today, and we're thinking, what, what does a transformed life look like? Where do we start? The Bible is just replete with, with, with all kinds of examples and, and words and whatever. We could talk about um, the, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? And all the, we could talk about being a humble people. We could talk about uh, God making us a servants, giving us a servant 
right? We could talk about the works of the Spirit and Him empowering us with gifts like, like prophecy and hospitality and healing and preaching and teaching. And so we, we could talk about social justice, right? Like we start changing things in the world. We could talk about holiness, sanctification, Him ridding us of sin. We could talk about our prayer lives, right? God wants to transform our prayer lives. Our devotional lives. He wants us to read scripture and go to church and be part of a community and unite us to each other. We could talk about all of these things, but if we don't talk about this one thing, this one thing that we're going to talk about this morning, we'd miss the whole point. Now, those of you who know what I'm about to say, keep your mouth shut, don't kill the suspense. What is this one thing? I want you to turn with me, if you've got your Bibles, to Matthew chapter 22. This is a scripture that I imagine everyone in this room has heard at least once. Verses 35 through 40. We don't have any words on the screen today, so just just listen. Matthew chapter 22, verse 35. And one of them, as a religious leader, a lawyer, asked him, Jesus, a question in order to test him. He said, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Which is the greatest? Which is the most important? And Jesus said to him, you shall, my mic going out? Okay, give me one second. Where's my extra one here? Okay, that'll work. Hey, look, there are worse problems to have than mic problems, okay? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Some, uh, some other same instances, stories here in the other gospels say, and with all your strength. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Okay, now imagine a, like a field of flowers. If, if, uh, if God's uh, commandments, if each one of those flowers was one of God's commandments, right, throughout all of Scripture, when Jesus says the law and the prophets, by the way, he's talking about um, the law being the first five books of the New Testament, or the Old Testament, the Torah, and the prophets being essentially the rest. So he, he's talking about their Old Testament scriptures in his day. So he's saying every command that you have based your Jewish laws on is based in love, right? So imagine that field of flowers. Each flower is one of God's command. It would be a mistake to say that love is just one of those flowers amongst a whole field of other flowers and commands, right? And that we can pick and choose and whatever. No, no, no. What he's saying here when he says that every command depends on love. What he's saying is that love is the the ground within which every single command is rooted, within which every single one of those flowers even exists, right? Love is the ground. It is the foundation. It is the basis apart from which those commands are nothing. So love is everything, right? Love is everything. I love the way the Apostle Paul puts this. I'm going to try to one-handedly get through my Bible here. Yeah, I got it. Okay. 
He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, it doesn't matter. If I can move mountains with my faith, if I have not love, I am nothing. He says, if I give away all that I have, sell all my possessions, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, if I become a martyr, if I give my life and hang on a cross upside down like the apostle Peter, but if I don't do it in love, I gain nothing. I have no reward. Do you hear that? Love. Love is everything. And if at the end of our lives, we haven't increased in love for God and our neighbor, and God has not transformed our lives because that is where he does his work. He transforms us first in the area of love and all else follows. Now God's goal, his goal ultimately is to perfect us in his love. It's to perfect us in his love. And I want to talk about what that actually looks like, okay? Um, There's a scripture in... Matthew chapter 5. Before I go there, how many of you feel like, um, how many of you feel like this command to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength um, and to love your neighbor as yourself is like burdensome? Raise your hand if you feel that. I, none of you? Burdensome? None of you feel the burden of, of like, I've got to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and love my neighbor as myself? And what... We, we, we seem to think of all of the things that we have to do and don't do and just the, the impossibility, right? Uh, my wife and I were talking about this a few days ago, and I, she, uh, she's like, ah, it just feels like it's impossible. Like, how can anyone ever live up to that? And so there's a scripture in Matthew chapter 5 right at the end of it, and this is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, he says, you've heard it said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Because he says, if you don't do this, if you just love people who love you, what reward do you have? Everybody can do that, right? You gotta love everybody, even your enemies. Just like, just like God the Father who, um, who, who loves everyone impartially, right? And then he ends by saying, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Those are the words of Jesus. And it's like, wow, Jesus, how can you expect this of me? And then at the same time say, Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, right? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It doesn't feel that light, right? Do you you feel what I'm talking about? But here's the deal. We have too often spoken to one another about love that is void of affection. We've too often spoken to one another about love that is void of affection. The, the primary Greek word used throughout scripture for love is agapao or agape. And what they really mean 
Um, we've, I mean, I've heard preachers and, and scholars and theologians try to make it mean like it's all about what you do. And, all, and, and there's, there's reality to that about it being what you do and how you treat people and whatever. But really, the most, I mean, the, the very first definition of that word is how you feel. It's actually, it's actually a position of the heart. It's to have warm regard and affection for someone. That's the kind of love that we start with. And I, we too often speak of love that is void of affection. Like, like we talk about right action, like doing the right thing apart from right desire. Apart from really wanting it. And I, I think we do this because in our human experience, we all know how often we're faced with decisions of doing the right thing, the good thing, the no we should do, and we just don't want to, right? And so how do we overcome those hurdles? And so it's not, it's, it's not bad for us to talk about what we do in those situations, but we're, we're missing the point here. We, I've heard this said many times in regards to that Matthew 5 scripture. Jesus just says you have to love your enemies. You don't have to like them, right? He says you just have to love your enemies. You don't have to like them. How many of you have heard that said before? Yeah, like over half in the room. But do you think Jesus didn't really like his enemies? The people who were against him? Do you think he didn't really have a deep affection for everyone that he came into contact with? I look at Jesus' life and it's like he, he didn't just obey the Father dutifully. He, he loved the Father affectionately and he didn't just serve people dutifully because he had to or because it was the right thing to do. He did it because he loved them. He cared about their well-being, right? Jesus looked upon the crowds and he had compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were a people led astray. He looked over the city of Jerusalem and he wept. He, he hung on the cross and he cried out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Do you think he prayed that because he had to? Or because he actually loved his neighbors. Because he actually loved his father with the warmest, most sincere affection in his heart. God not only wants to transform our behaviors to look like love. He wants to transform our hearts to feel it. He really does. I love what John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, said hundreds of years ago. He said that every command in Scripture is a covered promise. When God tells us to be perfect in love as he is, when he tells us to go and sin no more, when he tells us to love him with our whole, our, our whole mind and heart and soul and strength, that command, he's, he's not just telling us that to, to mess with us and say, ha ha, you go try and you'll never get, no, he's, every command is a covered promise. He's saying do this because I want to do this in you. I will do this in you. This is a promise. And this is what we're aiming for. This is the kind of transformation we're aiming for, where life isn't just a bunch of do's and don'ts and have to's, right? It's a bunch of get to's and want to's because I truly love my God, my creator, and I truly love people around me. Don't you see how that becomes so much less burdensome? 
It's because we're not like, when we, when we imagine our future, the next time you do this, when you imagine your future, like, God, if I were to give you my life, what would you do? Rather than thinking about all these things that you'd have to change, think about how God wants to change your heart to make you actually want those things, right? And then you're just getting what you want, and then he's meeting the desires of your heart. And what is there to worry about? What is there to fear? What is there to be sad about? I mean, that is just... God wants you to want things that he wants, and he will do that in you. That is our future when, when we give ourselves wholly unto God, when he is active in our life, in this radical, groundbreaking kind of transformation that I am just so desperate to see in my own life and in the church. I um, Just recently, um, some of you, I've been speaking quite a bit about it, but in the last three or four weeks, I, God has just been really moving in my life. He's really been working and um, more so, I've been, I've been <laughs> needing this for a long time. And one of the things that he uh, showed me three or four weeks ago was um, that even like, like everything that I do, and particularly as it regards my ministry, um, preaching and teaching and leading in different ways, um, it's just all about me. And I didn't even know it. I really didn't even know it. It's just, um, I mean, yeah, it, it was about me, and it was about dutifully serving God, right, doing what I was supposed to, doing the right thing. And, um, and it wasn't all just about self-glorification, but some of it was. And, and, and it's just like God reminded me that this isn't for me or about me. It's for, it's for those that he loves and what he's been able to do within me is to remind me that those who I preach to, those who I lead, whatever, are my brothers and sisters in Christ and children of God. And, and he's, he's placed within me an affection for you all and others that I just haven't, I don't know that I've ever had where I can truly, like, like the thought of, of his spirit invading your life, freeing you from bondages, like paving new ground in your life, transforming your hearts to me, like I, I'm so excited about that possibility, and that's why I, that is why I am here this morning. That's what I've been praying for and reflecting on for weeks leading up to this message. That this that this happens. This is, and it, I guess what I'm saying is that God is teaching me how to love the people who I actually serve, rather than just serve them without loving them. You know what I'm saying? And and it's incredible. It's been it's it's completely changed my my state of mind. It's completely cha completely changed the way that I work. Because I've got this motivation for all that I do that is just different. It's rooted and grounded in love. And I'm just beginning to taste of this once again. And, uh, and I'm beginning to pray for this uh, multiple times a day. God, change my heart. Um, I may not want you or want these things now, but I, at least I want to want them, right? I want to want the right things, and that's a place to start. So God, answer this prayer. Transform my heart, because apart from that heart transformation, none of this matters. You see how dramatically this changes the way that we think about transformation, about the end goal of our life, about the Christian faith in general, and that it's not just about a bunch of uh, being a bunch of decent moral people, right? It's not just about doing the right things or doing the good things. It's not just about being like Christ, and that might strike you, right? We always talk about being like Christ, but it's about being one with, it's about being in relationship, in affectionately loving relationship with Christ. That's the goal. And that is a position from which we will actually live like 
Christ. But it's not about just being a decent, moral person. It is about being overwhelmingly in love with God and his people. And that is a work, friends, that we cannot do for ourselves or in ourselves that no one can do apart from the presence of God in their lives. If you want to read in scripture about love, you can find it in a lot of places. Um, The apostle John is like, he speaks more about love than I think any other writer in the scriptures. Uh, he He refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved most. The disciple whom Jesus loved most. I mean, that's a bold claim, isn't it? But he just, he knew Jesus so intimately. At the, the night of the Last Supper, he reclined on Jesus. I mean, there's just this, such an intimate love that he had with him. And if you want to, um, even beyond his Gospels, uh, or his Gospel account, he has First, Second, and Third John. And First John is just, like, loaded with, with all of this language about love. And here's one that I think is really important in First John chapter 4. Um, He says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Do you hear that? God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. He says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. So his spirit actually testifies within us. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. We've become to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Listen, that by this, by abiding in God is his love perfected in us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear, for fear has, has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love, why? Because he first loved us. And then there's this, I've got a lot of scripture today, because it's ever, it's John 3.16. We love because he first loved us. You want to know how God loved us? For God so loved the world that he sent his son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He sent his son not to condemn the world but that the world might be saved through him. Now listen to this for a second. God didn't send Jesus into this world because he had to. God in no way felt obligated in his righteousness or his justice or his goodness to send his son into this world. It it was not the right thing to do, all right? That is not the reason for which God sent his son into the world. He sent his son into the world because he so loved the world. He looked down at his children who he created and he said, my life is better with you in it. And my heart breaks at the thought of you not being in my life, God says. I so loved you that I sent my son to make a way to get you back to me, to get through your thick skulls that I love you. 
affectionately. I hope you hear that word this morning. Because it's in knowing that love. It's in seeing Jesus on the cross. That his love is made perfect in us. So this is what we seek. This is what we ask for and pray for. And this is what God promises to do in us. And it is a promise um, that he will keep and that he is doing. And I expect him to awaken this church with a new kind of life and vibrancy when we finally get this. When we just open our arms and say, God, show us what you mean. Let's pray.